0: There is a place where fears and fantasies get weighed on substance alone. Legends and lores are examined in fresh light. Conspiracy theory meets conspiracy fact. Abandon your defenses. Embrace the possibilities. Step beyond the threshold into
1: other realms. They can, they can they About them. three feet tall. Change And it remembers everything that ever happened And then there was one point where I heard, uh, wow. There some UFOs when we were there. I
2: want to know the truth. Well, 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 well. You're listening to Threshold Radio. I'm Anthony K. with me. is Sam Ronto and John Stevenson. This is our Christmas show, everybody. We're going to have a lot of Christmas shout-outs, including some witness accounts. Uh, we're going to have Michael Clean, Suzanne Taylors, Outside the Box, and much more. You're not going to want to miss tonight's Christmas show. Thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas, everybody. And we're going to start off the show right away with our very first witness, Ron. Right after this quick commercial break, you're listening to Threshold Radio.
3: Mommy kissing Santa Claus.
4: TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info
1: Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I'd like to wish you Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Let's make 2012 a better year, not the end of the world.
0: Welcome back to Thresholds of the Other Realms. And with us now is Ron, uh, who had a uh, very interesting encounter with something truly unusual back in, what year was that? 1979 or
5: so, Ron? Yes, 1979
0: and uh what month and day do you recall by any chance
5: i'm just thinking that it was in, in august late in august
0: okay and what time of the day was that
5: it was about eight thirty p.m it was it was already dark i was just coming back from a neighboring town i a favor for a friend and uh just was outside of town and i saw this huge thing covering over my little town that caused me to stop and gawk for a while.
0: <laughs> see if you could walk us through exactly, you know, to the best of your ability or your recall of what happened. Let's take us to the moment you see it.
5: Okay, the moment I see this thing, it just... I knew something went over the top of my car because it just felt like, you know, I've had that sense there was something flying low over the top, but I couldn't hear nothing. And then I seen the underneath side of this thing, cause the lights of the little town that I live in was shining up on the underneath side of this thing. And it was, it was huge. It was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. Um, in fact, I just got out of the Navy and I could tell you at the time we had F4 Phantoms they could have landed a couple of those things on the top of that thing real easy, at the same time, if it was a flat top. That's so, just about how big it was. So com- and I mean, it was it was it was even larger than that.
0: So I was the size of it, uh, when we were talking before, and I'll qualify our this conversation. This is our second conversation. Uh, you had mentioned you had just got out of the Navy, and what you were on an aircraft carrier, weren't you?
5: Yeah, for a short period of time. I, I got a ride home on a carrier. Okay. It was about 30 days.
0: And uh, what class was that?
5: It was a midway class carrier. It was uh, one that they built right at the end of the World War II to resist uh, attacks against kamikazes.
0: So, now comparatively to something like that, which was the larger?
5: Uh, this thing was. I, I just couldn't believe how big it was. I've even seen but the biggest aircraft carrier I had seen at the time when I was in the Navy was the USS Kennedy and I'm I'm say I'm venturing to say that it was half again as long as the US Kennedy USS Kennedy was what I was looking at you know, like I said, I, I I thought it would be about three football fields long, maybe about five or six football fields, yeah, long, and three football fields wide, something like that. It was so really big. So we're talking
0: a, a thousand by fifteen to eighteen hundred feet long. Right. So the shape right. of the object itself, what would you say the object's shape was as far as basic shape?
5: Well, as you looked at it from the end, it kind of was a hat shape, but I wanted to say it was more of like of an oblong shape. It was kind of like a half circle, like two half circles joined together. You know, I mentioned two half circles, but the underneath side of it is what caught my eye and the size of it, because when the lights of the town hit that thing, I stopped my car, I didn't even realize I got out of my car. I had been standing in the middle of the road looking at this thing. I was just mesmerized. Like I said, it it really, really took me aside because I mean, I don't stop my car for nothing, especially if I'm scared. And if I'm that scared that I stopped and I got out of my car, I don't know why I stood there and was gawking at this thing. It was just, it was so immensely huge, you know, I kind of visioned something like, oh my God, you know, this thing could zap this town and be gone, you know, and, you know, um just all kinds of things that go through your mind when you're seeing something like that. But the thing that was unusual was there was no noise, um, maybe a very low humming sound to it, real deep, low humming sound to it, hmm. wasn't, um, I don't know for sure how long it was, it just it took off and like I said, the only thing I've seen of it was like two lights that was on the end of it, like two lo- red lights that st- standing on something that looked like towers or cones and when it took off, the two lights went together like in a perfect V, it took off so fast.
0: Like something from Star Wars. Uh, it, it was
5: unreal. Like I said, I just, I couldn't believe what I'd seen. I thought, I'd, at first, I thought I'd been imagining things.
0: Now again, but, we're talking about a sighting back in August of 1979. Soon after you got right. out of the, uh, the Navy. Right. Um, and here you are. You're driving through town. You're coming up. Uh, were you coming over a ridge or something or a hill? I was you, coming
5: over. I was coming over. There's some gentle roll, hills and rolls. Um, where I was driving and I was kind of like coming down the top of a hill and was going across a bridge that went across the creek that comes back up the hill into the town but I didn't even get down the hill before I'd stopped and so, you know, I was like, I didn't have anything blocking my view of it or anything. Uh, it was just, just, it was just hanging there. It was really kind of weird. I don't know how, to, how else to really put it.
0: Now some like of I the said. the things that you were saying as far as the description of, of what was being seen below it really got my attention. You were mentioning things like appendages, uh, antennae, mm-hmm. other, other superstructure attached to it that didn't seem to be aerodynamic. Can you give us some detail on that?
5: Well the thing that was kind of odd was that it, there was all kinds of shapes and things on the bottom of that and they looked like structures hanging off of the bottom of it. Um, At first, when I saw what was coming along the edges, I thought that might have been some kind of glyphs or something like that, but it wasn't. It was actually part of whatever it was. And uh, on top of that, it kind of had like a back-to-back, I can't think of the right polyhedron I'm wanting to think of but it's like two triangles are put together, kind of a shape like uh, ridges um, on it. And there was like, looked like these um, turbine fans or something all underneath it. I don't know, there's probably about 18, 20 of them, maybe. I don't know. Um, I uh, remember some antennae that weren't really very big, but I've seen a little bit of it. the antennae that was sticking out some portions from underneath but there was a few of them sticking out at the side. To the size of the thing it seemed like those antennas, or whatever they were, was really very small, pretty insignificant to the rest of everything else but the ones along the side I think were coming out like some dome shapes.
0: So you mentioned something about an object on top.
5: Yeah, it it looked kind of hat shaped on the top. It was like It looked like possibly that maybe there might have been like a very shallow pyramid roof on the top of it or something, or it might have been a cylinder. I don't know. I couldn't tell anything on that really that much because, like I said, the only thing I could see was the back of whatever was on the top up there and those two lights Um, because the thing was so huge. Like I said, that was really about all I could see of it It was mostly the underneath side, but when it took off, That's when I kind of got a little glimpse of, you know, the entire shape of it but we had some low clouds that night i remember that because whenever we have low clouds it seems like that it lights them up too so um that's how i kind of like could see the shape of the thing when it took off and when it did take off like i said it was just like i probably be exaggerating if it was going mocked 10 or better than that because it was like gone and, it, and once it made it exit it was gone
0: now through um, the
5: clouds that was it the lights themselves looked like they stood up just above whatever was on Top the appendages that was on top of the thing. The appendages on top of the thing looked bigger than the factory that I worked in. Like um, it was where they made um, tractor trailers.
0: Wow. So All we're times. talking an object that is truly massive.
5: Yeah. I. Uh, you know, this is a this is a small little town um, that I'm talking about, where I live, and and it was hanging over it, and I was, I'll tell you, it's it was it looked like to me that it was hanging over most of the town.
0: Ron, for the sake of uh, this investigation, because we're going to be looking at more of this, we are going to make, the, uh, with your permission, not the town, but the the county known. And uh, that's Clark County,
5: is that not correct? That's correct, yeah.
0: Okay, and we're going to encourage other people to come forward who have seen anything similar to this or anything unusual. Uh, the other thing is, sometimes, Ron, people see just a portion of this. Uh, let's say, for instance, the, the illumination, and uh, we'd like to have people call in, and give us some idea, send me an email, um, if they've seen anything like this. Now again, this we're talking about uh, a sighting with Ron here back in August of 1979, Clark County, Illinois. Uh, during the summer, obviously August, another aspect that we you you had brought up and um, I find this to be very telltale of something uh you know truly unusual is when animals get aroused by something more so than humans being indoors,
4: oh yeah.
5: Yeah, that was, yeah, you know, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. It was kind of strange because I noticed when that thing took off and I kind of realized where I was at, what it was doing, and got in my car and was getting ready to get, you know, which I was not very far out of town. But you could hear dogs barking all over town, you know, the, everything from barks to yapping to whining. It almost sounded like coyotes. And back then, we didn't have that many coyotes around here, not like we do now. Um, and then the neighbors had some horses, and I noticed... As I was driving by, it was just a smaller pasture, about a three-acre pasture. Jake lived catty Corner across the block from us at the time, and, and I noticed that the horses had their ears laid back, and they were kind of back-to-back to, back to each other, kind of looking all around in all directions, like something had really spooked them, you know, or something was after them.
6: Yeah, and that I is... I just
5: thought it was really odd.
0: That is, uh, anybody that knows about horses, that, that means they are not just, they are past aware of something. They know something's there, and they are spooked.
5: Well, horses follow their instincts as, you know, as... It, it's, it's primeval with them, just like it would be for a human mother to pick up her child if she senses danger and to take off. That's just the way they are. They And they're very protective of their young, too. I remember that they had a couple of colds, newborn colds that summer, and that's what had them really all stirred up. Sure. I don't know. I really can't say any much much more about it but you know the only reason I didn't talk more about it at the time or try to get it out and open the time is because you know we just didn't talk about those kind of things very much and around little town people think you're nuts you know
0: <laughs> well so, ridicule and sarcasm best form of censorship is what I say so. well you know what's interesting by the way this case did come in folks from the CMS file uh, for MUFON again please if you've seen anything uh, like this or truly unusual well, don't be afraid. File report at MUFON.com. That's MUFON.com. And uh, again, as you see here, uh, I am only using the gentleman's first name and the the county that he lives in. So please don't be afraid. If you want to stay anonymous, we will keep you anonymous. And uh, come forward. Tell us what you saw. Uh, We get reports every day, and uh, Illinois is one of these locations that we get a multiplicity of reports, my friend. We get many reports, and your sighting of this large, triangular object wouldn't be the first and obviously not the last.
2: Okay, that was Ron. We're going to have more with him later on in the show. Uh, Also, more Christmas shout-outs when we return. be right back. You're listening to Threshold Radio. mommy
3: kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe last
4: TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info
6: welcome back to thresholds into other realms and this is Michael clean your guest host for this evening did it was that good did you think I did a good job there on the intro
7: yeah that was great I'm not worried about losing my job though
6: yeah I hope so
7: So you know what today is Mike it
6: is Wednesday
7: it is 12 21 2011 you know what the significance of that is by any chance
6: let me guess it has something to do with a doctor's appointment. <laughs> yeah there you go.
7: Though the big Mayan calendar thing is ends at 12, 21, 2012. We're actually at 365 days in counting down to the major 2012 event, whatever it will or won't be.
6: So we're, we're only one year to the end. Yep
7: down and counting now. I got I actually put a countdown clock on the website so you can keep track of it.
6: Well I guess uh, every year you know I make a list of things I want to accomplish that year. And I guess I really got to make sure to get those things done.
7: Well, I figure on the 21st, it's going to end. So you either A, start Christmas early that year or B, just completely forget it. And you know that big uh, speed boat you always wanted to get? Go ahead and finance it this year. You're cool.
6: Yeah, you might as well get it in the summer when you can actually use it.
7: Yeah, don't worry about the bills. What are they going to do? <laughs> well, actually, this is... It's <laughs> That's gonna... how I
6: spent my whole life, not <laughs> yeah. worrying about the bills.
7: So do all Americans. Actually, it might confuse people. We're recording this on the 21st, but this is actually airing Christmas night. So Merry Christmas everybody.
6: Yeah, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Yule and other assorted holidays.
7: And season's greetings are, what are the other ones on? they got to be politically correct.
6: Hanukkah or Chanukah as some people pronounce it. <laughs>
7: Do they? I never heard it called that before.
6: Well, I always thought it was spelled with an H, but apparently it's supposed to start with a CH, but you pronounce it Hanukkah, Hanukkah, something like that.
7: So what did you want to talk about today? We could talk about our great adventure at Munger Road.
6: Oh yeah, we had a fun expedition out there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Can't say that we really saw anything, but I had some really expensive hot chocolate.
7: (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to say the the name of the place because we don't want to get sued or anything, but I got a very expensive coffee there.
6: Well you know, sometimes, like when you're going to Archer Avenue for example, they've got a cafe out there, and I love taking trips down there and going to that cafe and stuff. Sometimes, you know, part of the adventure of going to these places is just hanging out with your friends.
7: That's true. And the Munger Road is actually pretty cool. I've never been there. I got to say we were there. Didn't see anything or nothing happened. But then again, that doesn't mean anything because that place is pretty darn well known.
6: Right. Well, I guess we just came several years too late because, uh, as our producer said, that it used to be roped off and there were no cars down there. It used to be a gravel road. There were some abandoned houses. So I imagine it would have been great to go there. i'd really like to see some pictures or video from when it was uh, like that
7: yeah actually i didn't even know nothing about it till recently myself within the last year so i never even heard of it before
6: yeah um uh, i i hadn't heard about it till i read ursula's latest book the third in her chicago haunts series and uh it seemed interesting you know but it seems like a lot of those roads like cuba road or archer avenue it's got a lot of different stories on it
7: that's true so what do you got for us today mike you got a top 10 list is what you were
6: saying yeah i thought it would be cool for uh, Christmas for the new year, you know, to start out sort of on a general foot by talking about the top 10 creepiest places in Illinois.
7: There you go. Merry Christmas.
6: Yeah, and I, I know we've got a lot of new listeners out there so uh, this should be interesting for them, even if you're not in Illinois. you know, cause, uh, Even if
7: it, you're in Japan or the Ukraine yeah. <laughs> or perhaps <laughs> Netherlands where we do have listeners, by the way.
6: Or Canada for some reason.
7: Yes, Canada is our second biggest country but next to the United States. I got stats in front of me if you people wondering where this is coming from we're actually big in netherlands japan ukraine great britain our, our biggest state in the united states i have no idea why is tacoma washington though which just blows me away
6: if you are listening in tacoma washington please send john an email and tell him how you even heard of the show
7: they must have a thresholds uh, fan club there or something
6: i hope so because <laughs> you know i need some fans too
7: well, our second biggest place naturally is chicago second biggest country is canada we're huge in canada
6: This is the top 10 creepiest places in Illinois, and like all my top 10 lists, of course this is uh, found on trueillinoishaunts.com, the home of the legends and lore of Illinois. And let's start out here at number 10, uh, is the Peoria Public Library in Peoria, Illinois. Now, according to legend, this library is built on cursed ground and is occupied by as many as a dozen of different ghosts. Now, back in 1830, there was a woman named Miss Andrew Gray. She was a prominent Peoria citizen and she lived in this house in Monroe Avenue. Uh, After her brother died, she gained custody of her nephew, who was always getting into trouble with the law. And after a while, uh, he got this lawyer on his side, David Davis, who took out a mortgage on his... uh mother's home as security or I'm sorry his aunt's home as security Uh, when the bill came due he sued to foreclose on the home and collect his money this was all done behind her back so Mrs. Gray was understandably angry she evicted her nephew and shortly after his lifeless body was found floating in the river so we can only guess at what happened there (laughs) now the paranormal stuff happens uh, now she cursed the property and all its future owners so when time went by there was misfortune fell upon anyone who occupied the house including it said a former governor of illinois that was now one of in, our
7: governors that's not in jail right
6: now in 1894 peoria purchased the property that this house used to be on and built a library now the library actually was built next to the home not over it but even still there were three directors of the library that all died under mysterious circumstances And in 1966, the original library was torn down and a new one was built in its place, but the ghost remained. Uh, Employees have reportedly heard their names being called while alone in the stacks. They felt cold draft and even claimed to see the face of a former library director in the basement doorway. Sounds cool. So, kind of a creepy place there. Now, number nine is Lebanon Road in Collinsville, Illinois. This is one of my favorite places to visit, although I've only been there... Uh, once or twice because it's pretty far away from wherever I've lived. Now on this road there are seven railroad bridges. Uh, Some of these are no longer in use, some of them are, they're all heavily covered in graffiti and local visitors have crafted this hellish tale around seven of them. They've called them the seven gates to hell and the legend is that if someone were to drive through all seven bridges and enter the last one exactly at midnight, he or she would be transported to hell. Now, You're kidding me. Nobody has ever done this and come back to say whether they have or haven't. Yeah, though. or lived at so, all, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no uh, no confirmation there. But now in some versions, the person entering the final tunnel has to be a skeptic. In other versions, no tunnel can be driven through twice in order for this to work. Uh, there's also, of course, like Cuba Road, uh, there's an abandoned property that, that, that Satanists have taken it over. And there's animal sacrifices and things. Of that nature, so like very all around
7: happy story for Christmas.
6: Oh yeah, great. Well, all of these have some tragedy to do with them.
7: Why would you want to drive through these seven tunnels if the outcome is supposed to be you go to hell?
6: Well, I actually didn't find all seven. Uh, there are instructions online, but it's very difficult. Five of them are in the kind of the same general area. But then two are way out there and they're kind of hard to find.
7: Well, I say, but it seems kind of nuts because if it says the outcome is you go to hell, why Why would you want to do it?
6: Well, you know, it's the same reason someone asked the guy who climbed Mount Everest, you know, why, why would you do that? And he said, because it's there. No,
7: it's not the same. <laughs> you, you don't go to hell when you get to the top of the mountain.
6: Oh, don't you? Have you ever <laughs> been to the top of Mount Everest? Well,
7: okay, you got me there.
6: Okay, number eight is Illinois College in Jacksonville, Illinois. This college was founded by Presbyterians in 1829, and it's one of the oldest colleges in Illinois. Its first president was Edward Beecher, brother of Henry Ward Beecher and Harriet Beecher Stowe, so our fans of history should be familiar with those names, hopefully. Uh, with such a rich history, it comes as no surprise that Illinois College is rich in ghost lore, too. Nearly every building on campus is thought to have a ghost or two. Like Milliken University in Decatur, the female dorm at Illinois College is haunted by a young woman who has allegedly uh, committed suicide there. There's also a gray ghost, a faceless phantom that hangs out on the stairwell of Whipple Hall. <laughs> I always thought that was a funny name for a, a ball. Uh, <laughs> Another gray ghost, this one dressed in a Confederate uniform from the Civil War for some reason, has been seen in Stewartville Hall, and phantom footsteps have been heard in Beecher Hall, the oldest building on campus. It is rumored that early in the college's history, medical students stole cadavers from nearby hospitals in order to learn about anatomy.
7: (laughs) night? Was <laughs> this Frankenstein college? Well, no,
6: you know, back then, although there's some speculation about this, a, a lot of people claim that, that it was illegal to conduct experiments on a human body, that you, when you die, you're supposed to go in the ground and that's it. So a lot of times, medical students would exhume bodies in order to learn about human anatomy, or they would buy, you know, bodies of criminals and things like that, which really still happens today. Number seven is the Massac Mausoleum in Spring Valley, Illinois. This is kind of a cool really obscure local legend. It's a, a mausoleum in this tiny cemetery called Lithuanian Liberty Cemetery and visitors have brought back stories of a hatchet man that guards the graveyard. Uh, the mausoleum itself is said to be warm to the touch and the scene of animal sacrifice. Red paint is spattered on the door which has been sealed with concrete ever since the late 1960s when two vandals stole a skull from one of the Massek brothers. Now, these people, their, their mansion was actually located in the woods nearby, but it was torn down in the late 1980s. So, teenagers used to call it the Hatchet Man's house, and they'd go out there and drink and do God knows what. There's uh, kind of an interesting side note to this story. This woman, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, I don't know if you've ever yeah, interviewed actually,
7: her. Yeah, we've had her on the show before. Oh, you
6: have? Well, it's, it's interesting. She, she's gotten very popular recently. I had no idea how well-known she was. Yeah, her big thing, thing is that. the
7: gin. That's her main song. Object. Oh, no, well, that's the djinn, not gin.
6: Right. <laughs> well, she wrote a book a long time ago called The Complete Vampire Companion, and there was a story in there about this Massac mausoleum, and it was about a couple of guys who went out to the cemetery and supposedly they encountered this gaunt, pale figure in the cemetery at night, and uh, they shot at the figure and ran. Apparently, they <laughs> had a gun. <laughs> Later, a reporter who heard about the men's strange encounter came to the cemetery and poured holy water into a vent in the mausoleum, which produced a groaning sound. And, of course, this area is heavily patrolled by police. They don't want anyone to go in there at night.
7: Especially if the, the locals carry guns and shoot at people.
6: Yeah. It's a very rural area. Uh, it's down there by Peru-LaSalle, by Starved Rock. So it's a very beautiful area. But there's a lot of legends down there that are well-known in the community, but haven't really got a lot of exposure. That's interesting. Yeah. So... Number six is Mantino State Hospital, of course, in Mantino, Illinois. Uh, this hospital was one of the many mental hospitals throughout Illinois. It opened its doors in the early 1930s, and this was laid out in a cottage plan, which meant that the patients were housed in a series of separate buildings rather than in one single institution. When it first opened, Mantino accommodated six thousand six hundred twenty residents. There were underground tunnels that linked all the buildings, and one of the uh, things that that occurred there that's said to contribute to the hauntings is that in 1939, there was an incident that Time Magazine referred to as the Mantino Madness. There were uh, 384 patients and staff they came down with typhoid fever, and more than 50 died. So it was a big scandal. Uh, it was later renamed the Mantino Mental Health Center and closed in 1985. And the north side of campus became a veterans' home. Other buildings were consolidated into the Illinois Diversitech campus and rented to businesses. And the main administration building became a bank. So, there, but there were a lot of abandoned buildings there. People came in and explored the area, graffitied it, all that stuff. And there was there's a housing project that was built over part of the hospital. So this housing project shares the same water as these patients had drank from, you know, for all these years. Creepy to me. I wouldn't want to live near a mental hospital an abandoned one at that.
7: They're always haunted. Every story we hear about those things.
6: Yeah. Well, people have seen patients, nurses, the, the ghosts of them, and they've heard voices over the intercom. There's a lot of stories that come from the tunnels. You know, people like to go down to the tunnels and explore. So it's an interesting place. And I I uh, wrote a a chapter about it in Paranormal, Illinois, and I'm actually going to be speaking at the Mantino (laughs) History Society banquet in the spring about it. So that's going to be fun.
7: Well, that's cool.
6: Yeah. So number five is Cuba Road in Lake Zurich, Illinois. I've said uh, some brief things about it. This is a road that basically runs between the towns of Lake Zurich and Barrington. They're both very, very wealthy areas of Illinois. So this road is the setting of a plethora of paranormal phenomenon including a phantom car, a pair of spectral lovers, and a vanishing house. There's a side street off of Cuba Road called Rainbow Road, and there was an abandoned mansion there. A lot of people said it was an old asylum, but really it was just like a a large farmhouse. But there's supposed to be a young boy who actually died when a bird feeder fell on him. And, bird feeder. Yeah. <laughs> this is an actual, uh, Scott Marcus has, has dug the history of this up, and he found this actually happened. It's a
7: legitimate thing. It's not. Right. It must have been a heck of a big bird feeder.
6: Well, this was a little kid, you know, three, four years old, probably knocked him on his head or something. Some of those bird feeders are heavy enough to crush a little kid.
7: <laughs> I don't know what kind of bird fingers you have <laughs> down there in Rockford. I don't know. You guys are At hanging 55-gallon drums in your trees.
6: <laughs> this is one of those old stone bird feeders okay that they used to have okay just trust me on this one apparently so,
7: it's a, a three-ton bird <laughs>
6: so people have seen the ghost of this kid around there there's also that probably the most famous place along Kiba road is white cemetery it's actually called the bachelor's grove of the north chicago suburb i don't know if it really deserves that reputation but people see spook lights up there i've personally found like chicken bones and evidence of rituals and things like that that and just the, means
7: it's a kentucky fried chicken yeah
6: Boy. well the cemetery now is locked so they there's been vandalism and they really want to keep it nice in there. So uh, number four is another cemetery. It's Greenwood Cemetery in Decatur, Illinois. This is rumored to be one of the most haunted locations in central Illinois. I've been there about four or five times. It's a beautiful cemetery. But once again, it's one of those places that the ghost stories come out of about 10, 20 years ago when it was much less kept up. Mm -hmm. This was uh, originally an American Indian burial ground and then was later used as settlers who came into the area. The oldest visible marker on the grounds dates back to 1840, so it's a pretty old cemetery. Now, one of the most interesting stories at Greenwood concerns the ghosts of dead and dying Confederate prisoners who were dumped at the cemetery on their way to a prison camp. They were buried on a hillside under what is now a memorial to Union soldiers. Years later, a heavy rain collapsed part of the hill, mixing the bodies together. The hill was repaired and the bodies reburied, but many believe their spirits were permanently disturbed. Another popular legend concerns the so-called Greenwood Bride, who wanders the grounds in her wedding dress searching for her fiancé, who was murdered by bootleggers. The Greenwood Ghost Bride was actually also in my Top 10 Hottest Ghosts of Illinois list.
7: Which was one of your so, best lists, wasn't it? And not that get oh, the yeah. best ratings?
6: Uh, it's still, to this day, gets 20, 30 views a day. Uh, it's very popular.
7: Better than my Top 8 UFO list? Oh yeah, that's
6: that's buried far down there. <laughs> Great. I really, I really thought that it would be more popular than it than it was. That's because
7: it was only the Top 8. I just could could not come up with ten. <laughs>
6: well, you tried, which is the important thing. Yeah. So there's other ghosts there, phantom funerals, ghost light, that kind of thing. Another weird cemetery is our third place on the list. This is uh, Williamsburg Hill. It's in Cold Spring Township in Shelby County, uh, Ridge Cemetery in Williamsburg Hill. You talked a little bit about place when we interviewed Larry Wilson, the author of of the book Chasing Shadows. Right. He had not done a lot of work here. It's a very kind of creepy place. Uh, the hill is the highest point in Shelby County, and it once sheltered a town in addition to the cemetery. The town was called Williamsburg. It was platted in 1839, and there were two families basically that lived around here the Williams and the Horsemans. And there's another kind of hidden you going to say there. the
7: Williams and the Bergs. No,
6: <laughs> that would be funny, though. <laughs> well, this town kind of disappeared in the 1880s because the railroad bypassed the location, and there are all kinds of legends about this place occult rituals, phantom funerals. There's a ghost of an old man who disappears, animal mutilations. I personally, myself, saw a a squirrel hanging from a tree. So, kind of a weird place. Was it dead, you mean? Yeah, it was dead. Somebody had strung it up there. I was
7: going to say, you're impressed with seeing a squirrel on a tree? You don't get out much, do you?
6: Number two is the Hickory Hill Plantation in Equality, Illinois. This is also known as the Crenshaw House or the Old Slave House. This mansion was built in 1838 by John Crenshaw. Crenshaw and his brother Abraham. Now, Crenshaw owned vast salt mines in southern Illinois and was one of the wealthiest men in the entire state. And not a lot of people know this. He owned over 740 slaves. So, Illinois, in southern Illinois, there were some people who owned slaves because he actually counted for about 15% of all tax revenue in the state. So, they weren't going to want to shut down his operation. Definitely not. And Abraham Lincoln actually visited his plantation at one time. So, uh, interesting kind of history there but the the slaves were kept in these cramped cells in the attic. Uh, As early as 1851, there were reports that the mansion was haunted. There was a German family who operated the estate between 1850 and 1864 and they even at the time reported hearing strange sounds coming from the attic. Now after the Civil War and the abolition of slavery, there were tourists that came and visited Illinois only plantation. They heard phantom footsteps, voices, and singing. There was a legend that spread that no one could spend the night in the attic. There were many people who tried, but every last one was scared off before dawn.
7: I'd take that challenge.
6: A lot of people did and failed. Unfortunately, now the place is closed. I mean, you can't even get near it. If you even approach the driveway, the security people will come out. That bad, uh, huh? Yeah, Sounds like owned, Area 51. Well, it's owned by the state of Illinois right now, and until they open it up for visitors, they don't want anybody out there. Let's recap the first nine. At number 10, it's uh, Peoria Public Library in Peoria, Illinois. Number nine was Lebanon Road and the Seven Gates to Hell in Collinsville, Illinois. Number eight was Illinois College in Jacksonville. Number seven was the Massac Mausoleum in Spring Valley. Number six was Mantino State Hospital in Mantino, Illinois. Number five was Cuba Road near Lake Zurich. Number four was Greenwood Cemetery in Decatur. Number three was Williamsburg Hill in Shelby County. Number two was the Hickory Hill Plantation in Equality, Illinois.
7: No, imagine drum roll.
6: And the number one creepiest place in Illinois was, of course, Batchers Grove Cemetery in Midlothian. Yeah. Uh, This we know all about. It's been a south side enigma for over three decades and is one of the most famous haunted cemeteries in America. In the world, actually. Yeah, one of the most in the world. There's all kinds of stories. There's a white lady there. There's a ghost that was captured on a, a photograph that we saw in our segment on WGN. The pond adjacent to the cemetery has its own legends there was a lot of mobsters supposedly dump bodies there and of course there's a ghost of a man in a plow that's been seen and don't you know. forget those demon chipmunks remember that yeah the demon chipmunks that like to interrupt uh, news broadcasts. during
7: our wgn taping <laughs> mike and i the two brave uh, ghost hunters a chipmunk jumped out and gave us a heart attack <laughs> uh,
6: yeah that's true so phantom house also has been seen of course that's the most famous one so they're the top 10 creepiest places in illinois if you live in illinois Illinois, you gotta check them out if you don't then read all about them at uh, trueillinoishaunts.com and hopefully you'll come up here on vacation and check them out
7: well it was good Mike and I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas too
6: yes Merry Christmas Happy Holidays to everyone out there and uh, have a great Christmas and New Year
2: okay we'll be right back you're listening to Threshold Radio Merry Christmas everybody
3: Magnolia trees that night sparkling bright fields of cotton look wintry white when it's Christmas time and New Orleans oh, oh, a barefoot choir and prayer fills the air
4: TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info
1: Hi, this is Ursula Bielski from Chicago Haunting wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. Well, hi. This is Suzanne Taylor. Welcome back to Thresholds into Other Realms, and I am your outside the box uh, periodical correspondent here. And John Stevenson is my special guest today. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Sounds okay, John, like a you're, role you're, reversal you're, you're, there. You're allowed to kibitz, John. You're allowed to uh, interrupt and kibitz. In fact, I'm gonna. Uh, maybe I'll interview you. Who knows? Let's there you see. go. Well,
7: I've actually never been interviewed on my own show before. <laughs>
1: Well, I didn't. I won't do that as a real interview. I thought about how we would even chat about what it is that I want to talk about this week. And I'm doing it as a kind of a special year-end, welcome to the holidays and a new kind of beginning sort of thing. And this is not outside the box of what is possible, but it's outside the box this week of what our minds can contain. This is material this week that is for a fact in a way that everybody in the world would know it, and we wouldn't argue with it. It's not like, oh, crop circles, you know, this this is my little specialty. Oh, yeah, made by people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we don't have any argument with this information, but it is so beyond the beyond that it's hard for our, our minds to contain it. And what I want to talk about is the universe and the size of the universe and some statistics from inside the size of the universe that every time I'm exposed to these things, my mind goes on tilt. As I say, it's not argumentative. This is isn't, you know, we don't have factions here, nobody's saying this isn't true, but the actuality of the size of the universe is incomprehensible, and So, you know, obviously I'm somebody who's read this, knows this, whatever, because I'm going to talk about it. But every time I come across it or every time I engage it, I still cannot get my mind to really accept it. So let's go on this little trip where we'll go from Earth here to where Earth is in the scheme of things and get some idea of distances and time and what have you. Okay, so we would start out by the fact that we are on this planet that's orbiting the sun and the speed of that is 65,000 miles an hour wow that's fast but wait a <laughs> minute this is going to be this is going to be slow motion compared to where where we go by the time we It's actually we get... hard to
7: visualize where we're actually moving that fast too isn't it doesn't seem like well that yeah way. <laughs>
1: you know like why don't we fall off somebody in my movie i have this prop circle movie called what on earth and somebody in the movie is talking about how we understand new ideas new paradigms new information Comes in and we have to change our perspective. And he was talking about Galileo and how we learned that Earth wasn't at the center of the universe. And then at some point he says people were skeptical about the Earth being round and spinning. And people said, Well, how come we're not spinning off? (laughs) And Gravity had not been comprehended yet. We didn't we didn't have that in our in our scheme of things at that point. And so, you know, my character in the movie is saying, Yes, 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 I know, I know, but uh and he says, Well, we despite the fact that we didn't have the vehicle or the definition or the comprehension of gravity, we still could establish the fact that we were spinning, and we weren't spinning off, and maybe we won't understand crop circles until we get the whole larger picture of how it all fits together. Anyway, that's a little bit of an side because my subject here is how big this universe is. Okay, so we're spinning around the sun at 65,000 miles an hour. Now, the solar system, our solar system, is also moving, and it's moving around our galaxy, which is the Milky Way galaxy, with 200 billion stars. I, I've i got this somewhere else. In
7: climbing, too, because they're constantly finding new ones.
1: Really, we get bigger and bigger. At least we understand how big we are. So anyway, so the speed at which our solar system is moving around the Milky Way galaxy is 600,000 miles an hour. And you go, oh, that's really fast. But wait a minute. <laughs> we're still in slow motion compared to where we're going. So the Milky Way is our galaxy, and it's moving among other galaxies. It's it's also got an orbit among other galaxies, and it's moving at a million miles an hour. Oh, fast. No, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) We haven't heard anything yet. All right. So then, by the way, we're in a fourth spacecraft. We might say these are spacecrafts, each, each unit that we're in. And our universe is a spacecraft, perhaps moving among other universes, but we haven't quite established that, so we won't even go there. But let's stay with what we know, which is our universe. All right. And then there's a little bit of data that is also interesting in the way of measurements. John, do you have any idea of how big the Earth is in relation to the sun?
7: I know it's tiny, but I don't remember the exact numbers anymore. I remember that from school, but I have no idea the actual numbers. Would you,
1: would you numbers. take a stab? Or, or are you, are you... Oh, I
7: wouldn't even... I, I know it's minute. That's all I remember. It's just a little speck.
1: All right. Earth is three millionths... The size of the sun, <laughs> and in fact, the whole mass of the whole solar system, which is all our planet, all of our lovely planets that we know and love, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, blah, 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 all of them. So that's our solar system, and the sun is 99.85% of the total mass of it. So the planets consist. All of them are a fifteenth of one percent. Is that the way that works? If it's ninety nine. We're getting our 99. science
7: lesson today.
1: Right, <laughs> right, all right. So we're getting this now, now, but we're still going to get even more you know radical as we move along here all right so john do you remember how far the earth is from the sun
7: i didn't know there was going to be a question and answer here no, <laughs> i'm not right? going to be on your show anymore
1: right right okay well <laughs> we're headed for the for the astronomicals. i mean at this point we're still comprehensible but we're headed out of comprehensible
7: you place. should have warned me about this this isn't fair i let you interview me and really? you're asking me i, trapped you here. I can't right. answer anything
1: okay So, well, I can't answer it unless I look at the numbers either, because it just won't hold in my mind. It's just too much for me. But I'm looking at things here. So believe me, I didn't memorize this. (laughs) All right. So here we go. So just for your information, and again, we're still headed for even more so of unbelievable. Earth is 93 million miles from the sun. Wow. Yeah. And just in case you're curious, Mercury, which is the closest planet, is 36 million miles from the sun. but now we get a si- sense of the size of our solar system. Let's go out to Pluto. It's the most... Have they discovered another planet since then? Because this data is 10 years old. Yeah, actually,
7: old. I think they did. I was just going to ask you that. Isn't there another one now? Well, definitely get comments now because people are going to be yeah, correcting well, us. Yeah, well, somebody <laughs> will
1: have to phone that in. I didn't look it up because I really... I don't need that for you know, impressing us with... Well, isn't
7: Pluto science. not a planet now? Didn't I hear that it got demoted? I think, yeah,
1: it's a gas or something. But, but let's just say what we're really after here... What I'm after here is how big is our solar system? So we don't want right. to in tears about exactly which planets, whatever. But let's just take Pluto as something out there, and it's our solar system. It's three trillion six hundred and sixty-six million miles from the sun. My gosh. <laughs> so okay, this is so we think of our solar system as our planets, right? They're just our friendly planets right next door. Well, next door. <laughs> Is 3 million, well, you have to subtract the how far the Earth is, whatever. But anyway, with 3 trillion, 3.5 trillion miles is the, the size of our, and wait a minute, that's not the solar, that would not be the diameter, because you'd have to double that to be the diameter, that's just the distance from the sun. So you got 7, 8, eight trillion miles diameter of our solar system. Okay, so. Now, let's go on. So, how long do you think, just
7: jo- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, so here we are in our solar system, in this Milky Way galaxy that we're in, and how long do you think it would take for our solar system to go around our galaxy? One. See, because we also think of the Milky Way galaxy as our galaxy. This is home. This is comfortable. We're comfortable in this home base. Because remember that there are how many? We'll get to how many galaxies there. Oh, a hundred billion galaxies in the observable universe. We're already talking about our little home galaxy. <laughs> so. Okay, here we are in a little home galaxy. How long do you think it would take for a little home galaxy to get around for our solar system to get around our galaxy?
7: Man, I, I actually don't even have a clue. <laughs> now, you know we're
1: talking about the speed of light. That's a whole other thing. That's 186,000 miles But the vastness per of
7: space is just overwhelming. It's well, You can't even visualize here. that.
1: Exactly. Well, let's go backwards. 106. 16- 1000 miles a second is the speed of light and that's the apparently the barrier of how fast anything can go and just be aware that just to grok something to grab onto 106,000 miles per second would take us around the earth 7 times in 1 second so you're just getting an idea of how fast we're traveling okay hmm. so how many years do you think it would take for our galaxy to get around excuse me for our solar system to get around, because we're orbiting our galaxy, all all of the solar systems are orbiting. So, you're not going to even guess, are you?
7: No, It's actually starting to make me dizzy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Well, it does that, right. Okay, everybody now take a breath. So, for our solar system to get around our little home galaxy here, it would, at the speed of light, where we would go around the Earth seven times in one second at that speed, it would take... Two hundred and twenty-five million years to get around our galaxy. I mean, wow, huh? <laughs> and re- now let's remember there are a hundred billion galaxies in the observable universe. That. And we say observable because we think there are other universes. We can't see them yet. Well, you know,
7: what's already stumped me on that is, you know, at the end of the galaxy, there's another galaxy at the end of that galaxy. And if the galaxies say they end, what does end mean? What's on the other side? Well, that's that's, uh
1: that's another incomprehensible, that's another one. But I can't go there because we can't go there. That's because you don't
7: have a cheat sheet in front of you for that, huh? Yeah,
1: really, really. (laughs) Well, let's stay where we can go. So there's just one more kind of basic statistic that I think there's just one more, but I see there may be one after this. Okay, let's talk about how long it would take for, let's see, the the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years wide. And, oh, by the way, if, if we were going at that speed of light, In order to reach the nearest star in our own galaxy, which, remember, has 200 billion stars in it, in order to reach the nearest star at the speed of light, and that's uh, Proxima Centauri, Alpha Centauri, Beta Centauri. They tumble all over each other in our nearest galaxy. It would take us four years and three months uh, to reach the very nearest one, but even that's sort of comprehensible, but now we're going to go to the incomprehensible. So, if we started at one end of our galaxy, and Wanted to cross it at 186,000 miles a second. <laughs> Come on, John. Make a guess. <laughs> how many? How many? How many years? I, I
7: am so lost at this point. I'm actually just picturing Star Trek and thinking how easy it was for them to do it.
1: Well, let's see. We now. Wait a second. We were orbiting it. Well, let's just go on here. Got, everything is getting a little bit overwhelming here. All right. So. If we started at one end of our galaxy, traveled across it at 186,000 miles a second for every second, every minute, every hour, every year, for 100,000 years, we would get to the other side. My gosh. (laughs) And then the other thing you might, you know, just want to know is data is we thought as recently as the 1920s that the Milky Way galaxy was the universe. Oh, really? Now, that's less than 100 years ago now we know there are two hundred billion other galaxies and that's only we thought we were the only one like it's like thinking the earth was flat i mean these revelations that come along are just you can't even hold these things in your mind they're so astonishing and we're estimating now that in our universe there oh here it is i I got it wrong. No, I think it's... I, I was saying there's 200 billion stars, solar systems conceivably, in our galaxy. We're estimating now that there are a trillion galaxies, a trillion galaxies in our known universe with the probability that there are other universes. So, yeah, this is my last statistic, which is the nearest large galaxy to us is Andromeda. We're always talking about that like it's our our brother It's, or, it's, it's our her, next door
7: neighbor. <laughs>
1: our next door neighbor, right. <laughs> Well, Andromeda is bigger than us. It contains about 400 billion stars. And to reach Andromeda, <laughs> traveling at the speed of light, our near neighbor, <laughs> we, would, we would have to travel. We, we would be going for 2,200,000 years to get to our neighbor galaxy.
7: I think that's where uh, wormholes and uh, folding space come in then.
1: Well, where does that come in? You know, that is the conceivable... When they talk about travel, space travel, not our little local space travel, you know, into our space station, but how do UFOs get here? Well, they're not going at 186,000 miles, whatever, coming from even our own galaxy. Right. Because... It's just not possible. Well, they would
7: have had the left before our planet was even made.
1: All of that. (laughs) All of that. Right. So they do talk wormholes, and they do talk uh, the possibility that there are things that we have not yet mastered or understood or whatever— in fact, one of the posts on my blog, which is theconversation.org, where I have other fascinating things. Anybody listening to this and wants to be fascinated by all sorts of things about light and the way it is, uh, tune into my, go take a look at my blog, theconversation.org. And if you type into the search the name Alan Holt, A-L-A-N Holt, H-O-L-T, he's a NASA scientist. He has some authoritative position in relation to the space station. And he's uh, working on wormholes. He's actually a very far-out traditional scientist. I would call him an untraditional traditional, but, you know, you have to be traditional to work for NASA. But, in fact, he's one of the funders of MUFON. He's uh, very very much into how this kind of paranormal universe stuff might work and there he is a mainstream scientist very unusual and he's very into crop circles as well which of course is dear to my heart since that's my main subject
7: Mm.
1: so have i done enough for a kind of an end of the year mind blow
7: yeah, well, you confused the heck out of me.
1: <laughs> really, really. I, I mean, you you contemplate these things, and you know, here we are, mad at each other, and shooting at each other, and operating in such unconscious ways, and. How little are we compared to how big it all is, and I don't know, maybe even just really tuning into the wonder of the magnificence of size of this awesome universe that we're in. I don't know, maybe if that got drilled in some more, we would be uh, more sweet with one another and kindness would become our religion. Unfortunately,
7: most of us think we are the universe. That's, That's the problem. Everybody seems to think they are the universe and it rotates around them.
1: Well, it does come down to that, doesn't it? But then again, we also thought that Earth was the center of the universe, and we got smarter than that. We came to understand uh, that we weren't the only you know big cheese in the universe and so we've understood it at the planetary level and i like to think about the crop circles that that will get us to yet another level where we understand we're not the only intelligence in our universe which would humble us once more and now you know maybe the next humbling is really to take seriously how we juxtapose as individuals to this incredible awesomeness you know if we've you know, we're not arguing anymore about Earth being the center of the universe. Maybe we won't, in some future time, take ourselves so self-importantly, treat ourselves so self-importantly. We'll always, of course, you know, protect our little life. Life is this little precious gift in the middle of it all. But maybe we'll become humble to the gift of of the gift, and honor and respect and cherish uh, all of our other fellow human beings. Anyway, that's the big hope. I think
7: it's going to take, like, an encounter, an action encounter with an alien race to actually make all of mankind act like all of mankind, rather than individuals. You know, something that just slaps you in the face and, like, look, we're here, and actually everyone will. finally get together. I think that's the only way mankind would ever unite, actually.
1: Well, you know you're speaking my tune. You're singing my tune here, which is why oh, am I'm I? so interested. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's why I'm so interested in the crop circles to begin with. You know, we get lost in, you know, all of our little bits and pieces, whatever. But why I'm so interested in it is because it could change our sense of, of self as humanity, and that we would no longer believe that we were the, as I say, big cheese in the universe, and it would place us in relation to other intelligence even greater than our own for real not just science fiction well and imagine I if we
7: go- all quit fighting and work together all the scientists and all the knowledge from all the parts of our planet. Imagine what we could do, it'd be it'd be amazing what we could accomplish if we actually all work together as a, one race instead of all these individual little warring nations.
1: Is that you talking or is that me talking?
7: <laughs> I'm sorry, no, have, have really, I listened to you I mean, too much? Really, <laughs>
1: right on, and you just get the picture also again with the circles that if you did establish this other intelligence we would be one unit in relation to the other. Right. We have nothing to relate to now but one another which really gives us a kind of a license or freedom or stupidity or whatever to be so hostile with one another. But if we were one humanity, if there were other intelligence, we would be one unit in relation to that. it would help us tremendously to function as a cooperative unit, kind of um, coming to understandings or terms or whatever of how to deal with the fact that we now were in relation to something. And that would certainly be one conversation, among all the civilized folks on Earth. And this would be the best thing in the world for us, have something peaceful to, to talk about, something where we didn't have sides right. beyond. It would be amazing. Imagine the what same side.
7: mankind could accomplish if we didn't have to fight each other and we just worked together. I mean, it would be amazing.
1: Really awesome, just awesome. See, maybe that's but, why we
7: get along so good here. We both think the exact same. Yeah,
1: well, John, <laughs> these are just the ways I talk. And then, of course, if you want to you know, look at that and come to some kind of perception of why this is that how can those terrible people who fight with us fight with us but when you look at the fact that we've got such an imbalanced world of humanity where there's so much deprivation and poverty and we don't take care of each other and so the ones who are out are not uh going to be your sweet little cooperative people they're gonna they want in you know so there's a logic to it all that the system that we're in is quite unworkable for the ends that we really need to meet and some something that jars us, hopefully not something that blows up half the world, but something that jars us enough to kind of take a look and really come to this understanding of our reciprocity and our mutuality would really be a huge gift for us.
7: So we need to talk cheerier today. Do you realize, even though we're recording this on the 20th, uh, this is airing Christmas night, we're gonna depress everybody.
1: Oh, no, no, we don't. No, we, we, we wanna look to fact, the, the positive nature of this 2012 situation where we have a lot of opinion that something important is gonna happen at the end of this coming year and that we're entering a year which is going to be quite momentous in, in our history. And let's think that it's a very positive thing. There's You know, there's no votes that are in that a disaster is going to happen. It's just something cataclysmic. Uh, the 2012 cataclysmic, like thing is going to be
7: the topic of the year this year, there's no doubt.
1: Yeah, so so if we're looking forward to something major happening, hey, let's look for it to be something wonderful. Why not, you know? We've certainly got a lot of basis for that. We've got a lot of consciousness that has been laid in, so to speak. We, we've we learned a lot in um, a, a short time, actually. It's only, what, since the 60s that we started to be so introspective and get a sense of self and uh, potential and what have you. So things can move really quickly, and, you know, Women's lib was in my lifetime, and it sure changed my life. And so monumental change can happen uh, virtually overnight and faster and faster, as they note, for how quickly the radical changes occur. They actually are coming faster and faster. I'm sure that's some function of our communication systems now that are... Well, things are
7: instant now. Needed. Everything is instant. With yeah. the camera phones, camera phones alone have changed history.
1: It really, yes. Yeah. So let's think that we all can get it, you know. Let's think that there's certainly a lot of agitation for that or or encouragement for that. And let's think that 2012 is going to be the big year of awakening to the wonderful uh, mutuality in which... I love this slogan. It's my slogan for the year. That comes from Charles Eisenstein, who I've been posting about on theconversation.org. He says, "More for me, more for you is more for me," and I think that's just a beautiful thought. Maybe we could, you know, sort of end this with that thought. That kind of generosity comes back and it enhances your own life as you live a generous heart.
7: That's a good ending for the sake. It's it's Christmas right now too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- as so this is it's, airing it's right now, time. it's right. Christmas. Perfect, perfect, So we may, we may, and doesn't it make us feel good. It does. It makes us feel good when we gift people and we light up their lights and what have you. So... Let's make it Christmas uh, every day in 2012. The spirit of Christmas in uh, 2012. So
7: That sounds good. And uh, that was a great talk. And I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and all our listeners, too.
1: Oh, for sure. Very Merry Christmas to you. I really am so appreciative that we are starting to do these wonderful little segments. And hope your listeners like them. And very happy holidays to all.
7: Well, I enjoyed the segments, too, up until today when you grilled me. Without giving me a warning, I was going to be tested. <laughs> okay. Have a great day and Merry Christmas. That was Suzanne Taylor's Outside the Box.
2: We'll be right back. You're listening to Threshold Radio.
1: Hi, this is Steve Bassett. Wishing you a great holiday season and an amazing 2012.
4: TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info
1: Hi there, this is Suzanne Taylor, who's been doing segments on this wonderful show, and I'm here to wish you very happy holidays and tell you that my motto for the year, or my signature for the year, is taken from Charles Eisenstein. What he says is, more for you is more for me. And I like that a lot as my thought for 2012 as we move into a time of greater togetherness. So holding the thoughts of us all together in a beautiful space, in a beautiful world that we're all gonna to make together, hopefully we'll make great strides in 2012. Oh,
3: little town of
5: how still Are you scared?
2: Okay, we're back with Ron from the beginning of our show. We're going to be continuing our witness account with him right
0: now. Go ahead, Sam. Uh, In reading through your report, there's other things that you mentioned, such as the direction that it came from. And the other thing you mentioned that I find interesting is there was absolutely no other traffic in the air as far as air traffic during that period of time.
5: That's correct. It was perfectly still that night. I mean, it was... Eerily still. Um, I didn't even have a car behind me anywhere. Uh, I didn't see a plane in the sky anywhere. Nobody was even out riding a motorcycle, which, you know, in the summer people like to ride their bikes. Um, it was just kind of like um, I had a real quiet time and, and that was it. Um, but, you know, that's. You know, the thing kind of kept, kept giving me the impression was, was like, man, it looks like those two big triangular things that are back-to-back on the bottom could drop off and take off by themselves. Yeah. You know, and then when I seen something about those triangular things, you know, that happened down into the southwestern part of this state, over by St. Louis, and then that started to make me wonder. Yes. So...
0: Now, in your report, you mentioned a we at one point. We saw it disappear over the house and ran to the front lawn in an attempt to keep the object in sight longer. Was there a we? No. Okay. No. It was a typo.
5: I went home and tried to tell my mother about it that, that evening, and she thought I was crazy.
0: <laughs> well, the so. other thing you mentioned, and, and this is, isn't a matter of being crazy, but very, uh, a very interesting observation on your part is that you felt you were approximately, approximately how long were you do you feel you were watching this?
5: What I thought only was about five, maybe 10 minutes of time total. Actually, when I got to looking at my watch, especially the clock when I got to check my watch when I got to the house and checked it with the clock on the wall, um, actually it was more like about 30, 35 minutes. It just didn't seem like I was standing out there in the middle of the road for a half an hour almost which is another thing, too, that really surprises me because usually that's a busy little road that goes in between these little towns out here and somebody's usually coming by every 20 minutes or so. Especially at that
0: time of the day. It's not really, we're not talking twilight hour or uh, early 1 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Right. And uh, absolutely no traffic. Again, this was, and by the way, I have the report in front of me. The date you have here is August the 18th, uh, 19... 79 approximately 8 or you have 10 p.m. Does 10 p.m. make sense? That would be
5: probably more like it because it, it was darker. It doesn't really, in, in daylight savings times around here it's it's usually completely dark at that time of the year about 9 o'clock. So you know I'm I'm thinking I might have been off on my time That's a funny. little bit there.
0: Well do you think it's somewhere between eight and ten you have ten twenty summers in that time
5: yeah yeah it's, it was like i knew it was past eight thirty nine o'clock in there somewhere and like i said it was dark when i um seen this thing and it was dark when I head back and the reason it was so unusually cool that year if i remember right um if i haven't gotten the times of year messed up uh, it's because we'd been having some rain and it seemed like that kind of made everything cool and balmy around here for a little while. That's why we had the load cloud cover. I could see the silhouette of the things it was pushing away.
0: Now the other thing is, um, you had mentioned here, even at the altitude where it was, um, the manner in which it, it took off it, was, it would still would have been extremely, extremely fast. Um, again, you're thinking and you're not exaggerating is what you feel. Summer's in the range of Mach 10. And, uh, we're yeah. talking something over 8,000 miles an hour.
5: Yeah, uh, you know, I'm really amazed because, like, like, I said, the only thing I ever got any senses out of was hearing a low, very low hum out of it. And it kind of geared up a little bit and that hum got a little bit higher as it took off and then it just kind of, and, Then you didn't hear nothing anymore. But the thing was, as big as that thing was, I don't care what kind of propulsion it had, if it could levitate or not, the mass and the size of that thing and the way it took off, I would have thought I would have at least felt a vacuum of air come behind me or something. And that's an interesting point.
0: That is a very interesting point. Uh, You said there was something in there below it that looked as if they were turbines, but then again, looking and and functioning, in other words, you're trying to put into your lexicon, is it looking like, well, it could be something like this. But then again, there's no wind, no disturbance, so that pretty much cancels a uh, type of propulsion that would be similar to like a Harrier jet or anything like that, throws that out of the conventional realm, wouldn't you say?
5: It was very unusual, I'll I'll say that, because, I I mean, I've seen jets at that time, um, big jets even. I've even seen, like, a C-5 take off with a full load on it over at Allman Air Force Base in Terre Haute. Yes, C-5 Galaxy. There's a lot of force. There's a lot of force behind big turbine engines like that. Yeah. They take off. They could blow school buses. Well, you know, some people watch um, was that Mythbusters. Sure. They blew a school bus over with one of them, and it can be done. Almost, sir. Um, this thing, but the, it was just, it left me standing there still intact with my car. And, I, I mean, there wasn't even a puff of wind that hit so, me.
0: So, I mean, as far as your effect or how you felt, the thing that you walked away with that really had you puzzled was a time, potentially a time loss, that you you really can't understand. Um,
5: yeah, is, it was around 20 or 30 minutes.
0: And that's a bit unnerving, isn't it?
5: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... How is it I'm, you
0: found yourself in the street? Now, are, were you conscious of getting out, do you recall,
5: seeing yeah, this I, thing
0: and getting out? Do you recall
5: this part? I got the got down past a farmer's house that I know of, lives along that road, and it was just down the hill a little ways from his house. There wasn't anybody home at his house either. An old man Willison down the hill from then that was in the bottom, he was always well, going to bed by 8 o'clock anyway. So lights were out there. But, um, you know, I could not, In you know and I stood up and when I saw the thing, it came over me, and then it just kind of hovered right there above the north end of town and stretching out over probably to the south end of the town. This little town's about a mile long. And it just dumbfounded me. I had to stop. I got out of the car and that's all I remember. I, I mean I just I was checking it out and looking it over and I was utterly amazed. I just I could not believe what I was seeing. You know, I and I kinda had to check and recheck, pinch myself a couple of times to make sure I was really there, not dreaming. Right. You know?
0: Well, you mentioned here also that 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 you felt that there, that some of this other substructure of the superstructure may very well be detachable.
5: It's possible. It's mm-hmm. possible. Like I said, the, the two two triangular areas that I seen back to back under on the underneath side of this, with where all the intrusions um, was hanging off of it. Not the structure on the top, but this was on the bottom, and it was like I don't know. Like, it kind of looked like to me that they they were meant to fit there, but I don't know if they would come out and go off somewhere else or not, or if they would just you know if it was just all part of what I was looking at. But it gave me the feeling that those things were meant to just kind of drop out of there and take off and do their own thing too. You know, like you've seen pods on planes and things like that. Sure. Um, some of this other stuff they do with experimental things all the time, and uh, I just, I don't know, the thing was so huge, I I didn't know what to think, and, you know, when I heard about the thing down at Collinsville, Illinois, I was like, good grief, you know, one of those things can do about the same size as that.
0: Yeah. When you look back at this, and people say, well, as time goes on, you're going to forget um, mm-hmm. I always make the statement, yeah, maybe some of the real fine detail, but as a, a general rule, these are these magical Kodak moments that are frozen in your mind and you just don't forget. Would you agree with me?
5: You know, I get for- pretty forgetful about stuff sometimes, um, especially at the age I'm at now, but over the years, anytime it crossed my mind, I've, you know, the picture just comes right back to me. I mean, I can may not be able to get every last little detail down about it but i could give you a really good idea
2: all right thank you very much ron and merry christmas everybody we'll be back next week with a brand new show on the edge friday nights 10 to 11 sunday nights 7 30 on ufo-info.com join us then merry christmas we'll see you next week
3: Magnolia trees at night, sparkling bright, fields of cotton love, wintery white, when it's Christmas time in New Orleans, a barefoot choir and prayer fills the air, Mississippi falls gathering there, cause it's Christmas Diamond New Orleans. You see a Dixieland Santa Claus leading the band to a good old Creole beak. Golly, what a spirit! You can only hear it down on the basin street. Your kids will disappear. When you hear, hallelujah, Saint Nicholas is here, when it's Christmas time in our leave. And when you hear, hallelujah, old Santa is near. When it's Christmas time in New Orleans. Yes, when it's Christmas time, it's Christmas time in New Orleans.